The standard working pattern in the Western world, nine to five, five days a week, is purely to train people to not question, not answer back, not think independently. And as humans, we're not designed to do that. We're social animals. You're listening to Wild Creative, a podcast designed to inspire creative thought, enhance your artistic process, and excavate enriched understandings about art, culture, and yourself. I'm your host, Emma Kivetna, an alternative writing teacher, artist, entrepreneur, and Sagittarius. I am joining you today from the traditional territories of the Mi'kmaq people in Nova Scotia, Canada. Without further ado, let's explore the wild creative. Hello and welcome to Wild Creative. You may or may not know that I work for myself, or for my clients rather, remotely from home and have been doing so since late 2019. I offer various services like web design, graphic design, branding, editing, admin and tech support sometimes, self-publishing assistance, all sorts of things. I, I even have a unique service for writers that's called a LitMag submission service where I help writers get their work published in lit mags. And I also teach writing workshops and classes. So I do a lot of different things, all remotely from home. And as such, I haven't really been in a workplace environment doing a nine to five office type job since before 2019. And even when I did do it, I didn't do it for that long, actually, because it just was not for me. So it's really been quite a while since I've had to even think about it or think about burnout or working with others in like a group or community setting. But my guest today is a bit of an expert when it comes to mental health and the workplace. In today's episode, we talked about burnout and overwhelm, but also what the difference is between being burnt out versus being a workaholic. So whether you're a solo work from home entrepreneur or nine to five office worker, I'm sure either way you can relate to the effects that our work life has on the rest of our life and vice versa. So that is something that we do touch on today. And my guest, Anne, she has lots to say on that. Um, But also earlier on in the episode, we talked about trauma and emotions that get stored in the body and what it means to be resilient with trauma and where forgiveness might fit into all of that. So some more detailed background on Anne before we get into things. Anne Diamond is a creative change maker, transforming overwhelmed and stressed professionals trapped in a burnout cycle into resilient, compassionate leaders. As owner of worksafeandwell.co.uk, Anne supports clients to build their own resilient toolkit. She has over 20 years of experience in managing workplace well-being, health and safety, working across multiple sectors after leaving behind a molecular biology research career to follow her passion for promoting safer work. Strengthened with a personal understanding of how stigma and bullying at work can cause mental health challenges, Anne utilizes key elements of her own recovery from PTSD and depression to teach others how to implement a more creative and human-centered approach to well-being. Teaching self-compassion, creativity, and empathy tools, Anne is a passionate advocate for positive mental health support on a mission to build more resilient and engaged communities and smash the stigma around talking about mental health. She aims to empower everyone to start those difficult conversations so that they can become more confident and creative leaders. She's also an accredited advanced EFT practitioner, which we do get into the episode more in terms of explaining what that is. 
And in 2019, Anne went back to college to complete a foundation diploma in art and design, which transformed the way she lives and works. It enabled her to combine her creative practice with health and well-being work to open up a whole new world of exciting opportunities, including building social prescribing networks to enable communities to access arts and nature-based activities, to supporting their well-being and tackling health inequalities. When not coaching and mentoring, Anne is an author, poet, visual, and recording artist. She is proud to be listed on the International Washboard Players website and is always happy to talk about all things creativity. Anne joined me on Zoom from her home in England. Hello, Anne. Thank you so much for joining me on Wild Creative. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Me too. I, I, I'm really excited to talk to you about um, what you do and you know, your past and how you, how you got to where you are now. In fact, that's where I usually like to start with guests, just to give our listeners some context. Um, and you do run a podcast called Creating Resilience. And in the first episode, you do kind of give this rundown of your journey and how you yeah. ended up where you are today, um, having endured complex PTSD and then having that manifest into various mental health problems in adulthood. And then you moved into health and safety and then eventually got an art diploma and you, you do EF, you're an EFT pr practitioner as well. So what was it about that process for you that made you resilient and kind of got you to where you are now? How did you get through all that? That's a good, really good question. Uh, look, I mean, with reflection, I really don't know how because um, pretty much most of my 20s and 30s, I was really struggling with my mental health. And because of the nature of the things that happened to me when I was younger, I really didn't feel strong or confident to um, mm -hmm. to. To, to understand who I really was and I guess the art after I mean I didn't do my I didn't go back to college till I was 48 to do my art foundation oh, right I, um my diagnosis for PTSD was wasn't until I was 38 so just to go back and put it into context a little bit the um it, my my trauma started when I was five when my my mum left my dad and took me with her and I got taken, picked up from school one day. I just started school, my primary school. My primary school was literally in my street. I lived a few doors away from my primary school, so it was safe. It was home. And one day I got picked up from school, got taken to my grandmother's house. And the next day I got on a train and left. Didn't know where I was going wow. as a five-year-old. Yeah. No idea. Uh, it was over a year until I actually saw my father again. Uh, in that year, my mother had basically not told my father where I was. She sent me to a private school a fee-paying school and the only reason my father knew where I was was because he got sent the bill wow. so I was completely you know as a five-year-old that was completely mixed up and I, I, I basically spent the next 12 years I won't go into detail about everything but the next 12 years I felt I was the basically the emotional punch bag for my mother whenever, whenever when anything went wrong with her relationship or she suffered mental health challenges alcoholism mm -hmm heavy smoker I was the only one she could take anything out on basically and physically mm -hmm. emotionally that was it so for 12 years I was the pun was emotional and physical punch bag until I think I was about I, I don't I don't even remember which age it was it was around 13 14 that there was an incident which she kicked off and almost took my life basically it was a it, it was a very very severe threat to my life so mm -hmm. you can imagine as a teenager and developing that was yeah, you know, I, I I didn't know which way was up, and um, because my parents both remarried, I was basically didn't feel I belonged to either family. So I was going to see my father with a new family, and felt guilty when I went there. 
because mm-hmm. of the way my mother, my mother, I don't know if, um, what's it called? parental alienation behaviors. Have you heard of that term? I have not heard of that. No. Well, basically it's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually recognized as a form of child abuse now. Yeah. It's where, where, where adults separate in a relationship and they use the child or they abuse the other parent in front of their child or use the child to abuse the, the other parent and yep. I was subjected to every, pretty much every parental alienation behavior in the book by my my mother so um yeah so coming out of that when I was 17 I was completely well you can imagine what I did to my mental health yeah and all, um, of, the, all yeah. of this coming sorry to interrupt but all of this coming from uh, uh, people in your life that you're supposed to undoubtedly trust and love and like yeah. not have to you're not yeah. supposed to question that yeah yeah and I mean well, it's 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 referred to as adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard of the adverse childhood experiences study, but they say that if you're exposed, most people are subjected to one, at least one in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a, you know, a, a witness in something or, you know, there's, there's lots of different types of uh, adverse childhood experiences. And they say, if you suffer more than four, experience more than four of those, you are more likely to, uh, oh, be imprisoned have substance misuse you know there's there's very severe consequences on your physical and emotional and mental health if you suffer over four well I scored nine on that scale so that's pretty much where I came from and as a 17 year old I walked into the house I'd been out for the day walked into the house and there was an argument I not even involving me I just walked in when there's another argument happening and I happened just to say something completely innocuous and my stepfather said right I've had enough get out so he kicked me out of the house and I was halfway through studying for, for my A-levels which is the, in in the UK I know you're in, in, in Nova Scotia so in the UK A-levels are the advanced the last exams you can do pre-going to university going to right. college so you know, I needed I needed those exams to get me out of, out out of there to get to university, and that was really my only way out. I knew that was only my only way out at the time, mm-hmm. so I was kicked out when I was seventeen. So um, I, I had a choice of either giving up my school and moving back to my father, who's five hundred miles uh, two hundred miles away, mm-hmm. or I had to I ended up having to move in with my step grandmother, and then I had to, I had to basically see my my mother and stepfather every week when they came to visit. Uh, and and continue my studies so that's pretty much where my resilience comes from um and I I eventually got away to university and that was where I started started my journey to feeling safe again but as you can imagine it took me a long time to process that and um going away to university I did what I thought I should do in terms of studying science yeah. And um, yeah, I wasn't really diagnosed with PTSD till I was 38. And that was after several breakdowns and mental health challenges throughout my 20s and 30s. And that was after I'd started my own family. Mm-hmm. And, so in terms of being resilient, as sorry, it was a bit of a long winded answer to your no, question. <laughs> um, I, I know, I know um, some people say, oh, well, you've been through that. You're really resilient. You should be able to deal with anything. But mm-hmm. I see it as a, as a, I use the term resilient as a form of hope. Mm-hmm. I, I see it from a view of hope because the tools that I've learned in my recovery journey, art and other other tools, uh, EFT, which we'll probably talk about later, have given me hope that I know I can recover. I have recovered from all the things that I experienced and, and the damage that it did to me. Yeah. And I don't see it as a 
an excuse to be able to put three people through those experiences. I mean, the first six years of somebody's life is critical. You know, that's yes. really important not to expose people to those sorts of traumas. But I see it as a form of hope saying if you have experiences and many, many people have, there is hope that you can actually recover from it. Yeah. Well, that was one of my questions was because I I've always had a kind of uh, tense and negative relationship with the word resilience because I, I I'm I'm one of those people who thinks that we shouldn't have to be resilient. We you know the bad things shouldn't happen in the first place. We shouldn't have to yeah. go through that to be then and then resilience it makes it sound like as if um, to me it sounds like as if you can you're you're ready for the next thing. <laughs> you're ready for the next bad thing to happen. So it, 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 it but. <sighs> Yeah, it just feels like it's like excusing in a sense, but but I know it's not logically. I know that's not the case, but um, so so you so for you, it's reframed as like this idea of hope. Yeah, and I guess if you if you've ever studied meditation or, or Buddhism in any way, it, it's accepting it's acceptance that we as humans we all suffer. We're all going to suffer yeah. at some points in our lives, and it's not saying it's a good thing that we suffer, but it's saying that it will happen in whatever way. You know, we will suffer grief, we will suffer loss, we will suffer ill health, yeah. we will suffer some in some way, and it's all about how we how we respond to it as well. It's like saying, okay, this is happening. How can I deal with this in the best way for me and those around me? And you know, obviously, not saying it's okay that it's happening, but our response to it differs if we accept that it's already here or it has happened in the past. Yeah, so that that helps me kind of reframe the word at least for myself because, like I said, I've always I've always felt. Uh, icky about the word but um yeah yeah no I, but I totally see what you mean though like where you're coming from and I can see how resilience is a great tool in life in but, general but that but that comes with having the skills and the emotional intelligence yes. and the ability to process the emotions around whatever happened because there's a lot of that has to happen as well you know you can't you can't carry the anger and the resentment and the you know the sadness or whatever emotions come up from whatever happens right you know you can't you can't your body i don't know if i'm um bessel van der kolk i don't know if anyone have heard of him he, he wrote a book called the body bears the school body Keeps oh yes the school. okay yep and robert share as well i mean they they there's a lot of research a lot of evidence now about the impact of trauma and and stress on our bodies and if we don't process the stress response that we release when we when we're stressed we don't process it in whatever way we we feel safe to and release that from our body that gets stored in our body somehow and that's where all the stress related illness comes mm. in and yes. all the other knock-on effects so right it, there is a lot of processing that has to happen for the body to be able to become regulated and heal again to rest- return to its natural kind of state stat- status i guess of well, of, feeling safe, yeah. Yeah, of, of feeling safe, right. Yeah. So then that makes me think about um, where where does like forgiveness fit into all of that? Because when you're going through the, that type of trauma and things that have happened to you done by another person, yeah. but then you want to come out resilient, how do you do that without being angry and 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 forget forgiving or do or does forgiveness even come into it for you and oh yeah i mean forgiveness is like the final piece of the jigsaw really i is guess it? because once you've processed all that anger and and the, and the feelings around the impact of whatever happened on you and 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 you know and that's where creativity comes in as well a little mm. bit as well because i've i've studied i've studied this a lot because i'm writing a book about burnout and um it, it's basically if your brain is still in the emotional state or the unfeeling or feeling in the unsafe state because you're still replaying or carrying that those those feelings in your in your mind 
again going back to the positive it's a second dart theory so i don't know if you've heard about this so basically if you get if you if you have an injury or a wound whatever wound it is an emotional wound a physical wound if somebody's attached you or something's happened to you that's your first wound and you can't change that because it's happened there's nothing you can do to change the, that event that's happened but what you can change is re-wounding yourself by keep holding on to the, re the initial response so yes you've been hurt but if you keep replaying it and going over it and 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 ruminating on it and you know we, we we can we can exaggerate the the impact of that wound by our own response and that that's because we we don't if we don't understand how to process and release and let go of that the impact of that event mm -hmm. so um forgiveness is part of allowing us to release carrying or re-experiencing that over and over again because it only hurts us it doesn't hurt the person or the the, the organization that did that whatever exactly. they did to you mm -hmm. so what's some examples of how to release i, I mean i'm sure there's lots of and, and i'm sure there's lots of ways and not only that but they're long term too but yeah is there anything somebody could do in just on their own at home um or is it is it imperative that they work with someone like a, a therapist or somebody like yeah well I mean, I, I've I've tried I've tried quite a lot of different things. Obviously, I've tried yeah. the the standard medical routes like cognitive behavioural therapy and and talking mm -hmm. therapies and all those. And they're 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 good in themselves. But um, when you're talking about something that's hurt you, you re-experience sometimes, and that can re-traumatise you. So um, art, creativity. That's why that's why I do the creative creative resilience podcast because I've I've experienced so much healing through being creative, whether it's visual arts, performing arts, and um, poetry, writing. That can help. Um, yeah. As I said, I trained as an uh, EFT practitioner. Which EFT? Um, there's quite. There's a few different acronyms everywhere. EFT in my in my case is emotional freedom techniques, and it's tapping. So it's tapping on acupressure points, um, okay, I've heard like of that. acupuncture, but yeah. without the needles. Okay. So so EFT. Um, so yeah, I found that I only I only came to EFT four years ago in, in 2018. Um, so it was a, a, a little way into my recovery journey. I've been doing art for about 11 years. So that, that was what started my recovery journey. And as I said, going back to college um, three years ago really allowed me to explore the creative practice as a healing modality a little in so much more depth because I've been doing art as a leisure activity and going to classes to relax and try and calm because when you're when you're when you have PTSD, you're hypervigilant and you can't switch off and you're people pleasing and, and there's lots of other things with it. And I was still doing quite a stressful job. I was, it was in health and safety. And um, uh, as I've said in, in many of my, you know, my writings and my podcasts, I now realize in hindsight, I went into a career in health and safety because I wanted to keep everyone else safe because I didn't feel safe myself. Mm -hmm. And But it's quite a stressful job because you can't relax because if you make a mistake... Yeah. somebody might get hurt yeah yeah so you can't make mistakes and you can't allow other people to make mistakes because they could get hurt so it's it's basically it's a great job for people with ptsd because <laughs> you are constantly you, you, it's, a, it's a strength you know you are very vigilant you can observe things you can spot yeah. mistakes mm -hmm. yeah you can spot um non-conformities as they say but with art it's completely the opposite because with art you celebrate mistakes, you yeah. explore things that go wrong and say, oh, I wonder where that went, why that went that way. I'll explore that. And actually from the mistakes, sometimes comes the best art because you're right. You're if you understand you're, you're a creative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of that, so what, what are, do you have any examples of how art has helped you to heal? Because you mentioned that earlier, like 
did you have like a big epiphany or something like how, like what's an example of um and maybe it's too personal I don't know but <laughs> do you yeah no. can you share a story maybe about how how it helped yeah, you yeah sure yeah so so um as I said I said about talking therapies talking therapies when you're telling your story sometimes it can re-traumatize you because you basically relive in the events or just like this is this is not degrading it's the victim story like this oh, this happened to me I I I you know and that's not I'm not degrading anybody in any way because that is part of the process is saying this happens to be acknowledging it yeah yeah but through through my through the art course it was a two-year course I did part-time and one of the projects um was called then and now and I chose to do it as a as a story of my life but in textiles and I had we had this rocking chair that was my husband's grandmother's rocking chair they'd been sat in a wood store for years abandoned around actually the same age as me been there since the 70s when I was born and it hadn't nobody nobody bothered to reupholster it or anything so I chose that as a renovation project and I made I remade the back cushion and the seat cushion and reupholstered this rocking chair and the the concept was you sit in the present and you rock back to the past oh and so, cool. so the back cushion of this of this chair I divided it into five sections and each section was a decade of my life mm-hmm. and I chose what I wanted to put on each day each of those panels so for those decades the two the two decades the first 20 years of my life obviously which were where most of the trauma happened mm-hmm. I chose what went on those and for me that was such a powerful healing process because I told that story in my own words in my own way so I I, for example I represented um the parent that was abusive to me and disruptive thing as a um it's called couching it's where you put threads on a on a on a thing and you just stitch them so you're not you're not embroidering you just yeah do do, you know what I mean it's basically it it was very chaotic and that to me was just expressed my relationship with that person but I didn't need to say any words. That's just that's just a stitched image on a cushion. But to me, that was part of the healing process. And looking at all, and looking at old family photographs, choosing which ones I wanted to show, I, I printed photographs onto the fabric. So it was a three month project, but it brought up a lot of a lot of stuff which I processed, and it was great. Yeah. So bringing some control to your past, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that sits in my bedroom now, and I see it every day. And I use the. Um, the lotus flower as a symbol of regeneration and, and resilience yes. and uh, you know it's a very very it's a it's a you know it's a globally recognized symbol of rebirth isn't it the lotus flower mm-hmm. yeah so i use a screen print of the lotus flower um and that that's where you sit in the present as the lotus because it's regeneration and that 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 represented to me that you always have a chance every day every moment to renew because as eckhart tolly says you know the, there's no past there's no future the only the only thing is the present we always have a chance to renew that is i think that's that's a really hard thing for people to grasp too because it's so easy to live in the past yeah or worry about the future <laughs> well when um the eft tapping that i do um yeah. one of the founders of uh, the person people who developed eft is a guy called gary craig and he um we do a lot of work um with i do a lot of with my eft clients obviously about trauma that's happened in their past and limiting beliefs that they form um, and he describes it really beautifully again very creatively as um, the writing on our walls and he says we live in a palace of possibilities so imagine if we if everyone lives in their own palace of possibilities but we're stuck in one room right. and the writing on the walls of that room are the beliefs that have been put there by our 
uh, you know, really before the age of six, you know, by our teachers, by our parents, by our family, by our social circle, by our society, our our, our religion, whatever, you know, what, what, and those beliefs are imprinted on us as, as, as who we believe we are. And I've had some really beautiful moments with clients where, well, one of the clients recently, they'd had a really, they, they hadn't been able to visit their, where they went to school, they went to boarding school, they hadn't been able to visit that city for 35 years because they were so traumatized by their time there so we we processed a lot and the beautiful thing was that we 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 went through a process where she erased the writing on the wall and painted a beautiful mural from a program that she'd watched and and re retold her story with with her own beliefs yeah i i really like that visual that vis visualization <laughs> technique yeah. of, of the palace and um it, it kind of puts into images something that's hard to explain maybe with words um i don't know i just for, for people who especially are more visual learners too i think that will really resonate with them but i really like that idea yeah and i, I we talk i talk about beliefs as tabletops as well so you know right. i am or i can't or i you know this is me well that's a tabletop that's your belief but you have to look at the legs that support in that belief and where they come from and are they true yeah and once you start working at those legs sometimes you think actually I'm not sure this is really true anymore. It might have been true when I was X, Y, Z age, but not now. And I think a lot of people, or I, I, I've done a little bit of research on this type of stuff, but I think in the moment at the time, you can only do the best with what you've got. And if yeah. your survival mechanism at the time was to create those beliefs because it kept you safe for what for whatever reason that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's mm -hmm. more so like when you, when you hold on to them, years and years later as you said maybe they're maybe they've changed maybe at the time they served you then but they don't anymore so um yeah what's your take on that well that that's interesting because we were talking about forgiveness earlier oh, yeah, and, yeah. The, the, <laughs> and the one when we when we set up when we set up tapping when we start tapping and we say what's your most pressing issue so you know for example um all this anger i'm holding on to all this anger we usually end it with uh, even though i have all this anger i deeply and completely love myself accept myself and forgive myself and it's really interesting that a lot of people can't say that bit they can't say love accept and forgive myself because that's the bit they're struggling with and that's why they are stuck in the patterns of behavior or beliefs and just actually thinking about do you actually accept yourself or do you love yourself is a really interesting question and that that's where the forgiveness comes in because a lot of the time it's forgiving yourself for either not doing something or doing something in your past and as you say if you if, if the only safe way to keep yourself safe was to behave that way or to make that decision that was okay at the time but we beat ourselves up about it and we we criticize ourselves about things we've done in the past so much because then we change so much over time, they kind of become outdated, that, that way of survival at that time or what, thinking or belief yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. But it can be hard for people to come out of that if they've been in that safe bubble for so long. So, Well, if they've been conditioned to say, oh, okay, that, if I yeah. speak out or speak my voice, I'll be punished or yes. people will leave me. Because, you know, as, as humans, we're social animals and we want to belong, don't we? So mm -hmm. if we fear being criticised, again, if you're hypervigilant or fear of criticism, which is common to people with PTSD, yeah. um, you, you, you do things to people, please. You do things yeah. to... And, and, and we talk about the stress response being fight, flight or freeze, but also fawn is another part oh, of that yes, stress I've response. Heard of that. Yep. And, and that is basically 
been pleasing people who you are scared of or who who may maybe a danger to you there are there are all various means of survival i guess at the end of yeah. the day yeah. yeah um i would like to i would love to touch back on the tapping the eft again um because we've mentioned it a few times i'm just actually really curious of like how that actually like the science behind it like when you're doing the tapping is it because you're doing certain pressure points is and it's correlated to your nervous system or something like how does that how does that work exactly yeah i have to say uh, even though i live in glastonbury in the uk which is associated with a lot of spirituality and and woo as we call it right um my my university studies i trained as a as a biologist so i am a scientist by training so i was a little bit skeptical about it when i first went along and i went along really to help a friend out who was trained as a practitioner needed to practice on people Mm -hmm. um but i realized it actually made a big impact on me so i i did study this and i've been fascinated by how this works and i've done a lot of reading and research because I wouldn't have trained as a practitioner if I didn't believe there was some science behind right. it yeah and I think the science is catching up now we, we know, we've known it's worked for many years yes but the science is catching up a little bit now so the way I describe it in sort of really simple terms is that um our our stress response is is really coordinated in the brain by a little peanut shaped bit organ called the amygdala and that is in our primitive brain that is basically connected to all of our senses so it, it's basically got a hotline so all of our you know sight sound smell touch taste that is our constant alarm it's like our security alarm isn't it it's like basically constantly scanning for danger and our amygdala gets those signals and if it spots anything that's been associated with danger in the past or could be danger regardless of not whether you are in danger now it goes right set the alarms off and triggers our stress response so that could be just thinking or talking about a plastic event like we've just been I've just been discussing mm-hmm. so um what what they believe um EFT tapping does is your amygdala is thinking right turn on the alarm stress response while you're thinking or talking about the event but the act, act of manually stimulating so pressing on the acupressure points where the acupuncture where the needles there's, there's a whole network of these meridian points around the body but we use the side of the hand and some points uh, between our eyebrows, side of our eyes. So all these points where if you touch them or stroke them, they do giving you comfort, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah? On the chin, on the chest, and on top of the head. All those places have got lots of these acupressure points. Whilst you're tapping those, you're getting one signal from the physical tapping, so the um, the, the physical the, the, the tapping, and you get another signal from the thinking. And your amygdala eventually realizes you are safe, and it tunes down the response like a dimmer switch. So it's a way of reducing the intensity of the emotional response to whatever you're talking about. So it's kind of like the tapping is like a, a distraction almost or, or something to yeah. distract from the alarm going off? Yeah, it tunes it down and you can tap. We, we use a lot of um, uh, like neuro-linguistic programming techniques as well. So it's like a talking therapy but with the added physical tapping mm-hmm. so you're tuning down the emotional response whilst you're doing these various different talking therapy techniques and there's a lot of visual imagery a lot of creativity involved mm-hmm. and yeah it's been used i mean there's, there's, there's hundreds of studies now peer-reviewed studies on it and they've done um uh, MRI, mri scanning so dr P- peter stapleton in australia has done a lot of really good you know scientifically ev- uh, studies on this and um, they've done tests on people's cortisol stress hormone levels in their saliva uh, before and after tapping and it's it's reduced significantly and they've also measured um people's ptsd scores 
before and after doing a series of tapping in various places like Rwanda with the genocide survivors or with American um, veterans, army veterans. So, it, you know, it, it's, it works. Yeah. And, uh, but it, and also the beauty of it is it could be used on anything. So, for example, you know, once you've learned the tool and you know how to tap, then anything that creates an emotion, you can tap on it and just reduce the emotional intensity. And we talk about peeling the any layers of an onion. So quite often the, the behavioural, the emotional response we show in response to a trigger is the outer layer of the onion because we don't want to deal with the core deep stuff that we don't feel safe to look at. Right. Yeah, we don't want to go there. It's like a yeah. Pandora's box. So it's gradually chipping away or getting to the core issue. And that needs to have obviously have some support for that. You need a practitioner to right. that. But for everyday frustrations and, you know, even a conversation you had that maybe caused an emotional response, then you can just tap on that saying, even though that person really annoyed me, I accept how I feel. And that just tunes down that emotional response. So you respond in a more calm and focused way. Interesting. And, and, and this has been even before the science as you said, it, the science is kind of what's catching up. It's act, but this tapping has actually been around for a long time. Like, like, yeah. are you talking like centuries? Like, we've been doing it for. Uh, well, no. I mean, it's probably the last. Oh, I can't remember the exactly. I've probably about twenty or thirty years that it's been okay. around. Like as, as EFT. Yeah. But you know, acupressure, simulating acupressure points has been around for thousands of years. You know, yeah, even through acu- either through um, acupuncture or other um somatic um therapies but right um they've never been really recognized as as you know as as being effective because the scientists didn't but they have they have actually discovered or or, fa- or or found you know they found these channels these um uh the channels that the acupressure point the meridian channels that actually it's like um it's part of your fascia you know you know when you get a joint of meat you know the white stuff that goes around the oh, muscles yeah. yep that's yep. your fascial network so you get many of my fascial syndrome you get you get um plantar fasciitis in your feet that's mm-hmm. an inflammation of the, of the yeah so that's where that's that's all part of that and they they, they send they send signals so they, they, they've, they've actually you know the scientists have seen it so they know it's yeah. there yeah no that, no I, absolutely i i i don't doubt it at all i'm just always i'm just curious of like how the actual science works and it's always so interesting yeah, yeah, to too. hear and and so so but the tapping seems like an accessible way anybody could really do that at home and but if they wanted yeah. to make the deeper long-term changes like you were saying like getting through the layers of the onion uh working with yeah. the practitioners the way to go so do you work i assume you just work with people in person for that in the uk or do you can you do that no, remotely? On zoom. yeah okay. on zoom yeah it's it's very accessible it's global now we work with anybody anyone in the world um i guess that's true i like i like to go in person and 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 work with groups and work with individuals but actually it's really effective on zoom as well yeah so speaking of clients what what sorts of clients do you work with because looking at your website and whatnot it seems like you work more with like corporate business people who who suffer from burnout and overwhelm or is that is that accurate or is there yeah that's their website right yeah i've I don't know whether it was a, a strength or a weakness, but um, I, and I don't know. I, I I'm still trying to work out whether I need to go for um an assessment for for um neurodiversity because I I do believe that I may be I may be on the neurodivergent yeah, scale. Yeah. But one of the things that I I'd like to do is compartmentalize things, and, I, and it's really hard then because you know I've I've been trying to bring the work safe and well site came from my health and safety consultancy when I was trying to basically generate more conversations about 
creating psychologically safe workplaces and basically making people feel safe to work with mental health challenges and not be stigmatized. So my, my real passion is challenging stigma around mental health. So having conversations about like saying it's okay not to be okay. And if somebody has mental health challenges, they shouldn't be stigmatized or penalized. That's where the work safe and well work came. So that that was really targeted at professionals. But the um, my EFT um, practice is creative leader EFT. And I work with individuals for that. But I have been into schools and I have been into um, groups like groups of people with fibromyalgia and um, long term health conditions to talk about EFT and, and, you know, how it can be used as as a tool to help people, especially with stress related uh, and autoimmune illnesses, because um, if you have also with pain as well, because our response to pain can be part of like we said about the sort of second wound if you mm-hmm. have pain chronic pain condition the way you respond to that pain can really impact the intensity of the pain it's like a negative loop right so yeah. you know how you how you respond to a health condition or the pain can actually and, and there's been lots of evidence that people can really learn to live with conditions much better if they can clear some of the emotional responses around the diagnosis or, or the, the symptoms they're experiencing mm-hmm. kind of make make some room within themselves to move forward yeah. yeah not not be defined by that right and not be situation. defined by it yeah so talking about burnout and overwhelm how do you know when you're experiencing burnout it seems like it would be an obvious thing to know but i feel like also some people don't know when they're doing it or when they're in it because they just think yeah. i'm working hard like that's what i got to do so how do you know like what are some signs of burnout and what's your like top tips for people who might be experiencing burnout other than eft <laughs> So the first thing I'd say, because I say I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished my book on this. Oh, the first thing I'd say is burnout is a work-related thing. So it's really important to distinguish between, um, it's basically feelings of exhaustion, um, lack of interest in your job, lack, you know, um, basically losing all motivation, complete exhaustion, um, stress and overwhelm. But it's the World Health Organization have defined this. And it's 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 work related and it's a result of chronic exposure to work related stress. So I have to say that it's not about you. You are not the problem. It's your work. And um, so many people I've heard so many stories from people who said, oh, I burnt out. And, you know, and yeah, you burnt out. But taking time off work or taking time out or resting, whatever, isn't going to solve the issue if your work doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. So it's about dealing with the unresolved work-related stress. Now, added into that, obviously, we've talked about adverse childhood experiences and trauma. You have to have a trauma-informed approach to this. So if you have experienced trauma or or adverse childhood experiences or, you know, you have to take those into account and your ability to cope with the work-related stress may be different. We're talking about resilience again. If you have past trauma that you haven't Mm -hmm. processed or dealt with. Right. So... One person's experience in a workplace, ability to handle different workplace stresses, may be completely different to another's. And that's not the individual's weakness. It's because of their past experiences and ability to cope or, you know, how their nervous system is set up. Right. Um, Would you say burnout is the same or similar to someone who's a workaholic or is that like a totally different thing? Well, that's an interesting one as well, because quite a lot of the time people are workaholics or anyaholics because they're using that to, as a numbing tool or an avoidance tool because they don't want to face an emotional issue or their emotions. Yeah. And 
yeah, I'm reading a book. I'm reading a book at the moment called Four Thousand Weeks. I don't know if you, it's by a guy called Oliver Berkman, and it's really interesting. The the, the title Four Thousand Weeks comes from basically the fact that if you live to the age of eighty, you'll have around four thousand weeks. Wow, that's it. <laughs> so, um, so he's exploring how we use and how we how we how we how we manage our time and and the cult in Western societies of being productive and you know doing more with our time and and people who can't yes. switch off and um burnout is is really a symptom of that i guess because we're, we're being pushed to be more more efficient or more effective or more more useful let's say if, if you want to use that term yeah in, in, in whatever whatever values people say are useful but actually we don't ever feel we're getting we don't ever feel like we're succeeding do we because we always feel we're failing yeah it's still not good enough That's it. so burnout is um it's really something about exploring your relationship with your job and the impact your job is, has on you and yeah dealing with that so what would be like a top tip for someone who if if they suspect they're burning out or that they're workaholic or whatever what would be like a what's the first thing you'd like recommend that they would try to get out of that pattern well this, this isn't going to be very popular the first thing is going to be say accept where you are right now and say look where are you what what is the balance in your life you know in terms of work work is only one small part of your life you know a lot of people you know you work to pay the bills a lot of people a lot of people some people are very lucky and they've got work that I mean I I my work brings me joy every day I love doing my job and it, you know it, it energizes me and yeah the guess the first thing I'd say is like do a little I, I, I've got this little tool that I look a sort of little download that I, I give to people um it's about um doing an energy audit and basically listing all the things in your work, your personal, your social life that give you energy, so that mm -hmm. energize you, and ones that drain you of energy. And see if you're in credit every day or if you're in debit, Ooh. in debt. And obviously, if you're in credit all the time, you're in balance. If you're in debt all the time, you're on your way to burnout because you, your, your body can't sustain that for too long. You know, you, you, you're not in balance. Yeah. So just doing a little check-in and... and Whatever outcome you see, just accept it. Don't beat yourself up because that is, you know, that's that's not that's not healthy for you. That's a lot of people might go there first as their as the, the yeah. first thing to do, beat themselves up. Yeah. But, and what was that technique called again? I missed that. I call that an energy audit. Energy audit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really I, cool. That's my health background. I can't resist using those words, but um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. that's fair. Uh, that's really interesting. I should do that actually. Um, yeah. And while we're while we've been talking about this, I kind of had an idea or a thought rather that you know humans. I guess they're not really meant to work. They're meant to survive. Like they're yeah. that's kind of the driving force behind well, all species, really. But you know what I mean, like. Yeah, we're not put here to to work, but we're. You know, I don't want to say that. Oh, we, we that means we can be lazy and do nothing. But <laughs> you know, there's a huge campaign at the moment for the four day week because yeah. the the standard the standard working pattern in the Western world, the nine to five five days a week, is is a purely from the industrial revolution. Yeah, it's yeah, purely yeah. even even our education system is purely to train people to not answer, not question, not answer back, not think independently. That's why art and creativity is so important and science, because we question things, we explore, mm -hmm. we do different things. And the nine to five is purely to, to create people who will work in a production facility or an office facility that operates on those hours. And as humans, we're not designed to do that. We're social animals. Exactly. Um, and the 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 work element of it i guess goes right back to when we lived in in tribes yeah 
you know, in, in, in sort of tribal society when we basically we all shared jobs around the tribe to enable the whole tribe to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So food gathering, fuel gathering, you know, making making sure the home was built and safe. That was all but kept us safe. And if we weren't contributing or were no use, we were either ostracized or on you know, we weren't we weren't part of and, yeah. and I think there's an anthropologist, I can't remember the anthropologist's name, so I think it's Margaret Mead. But she said the greatest discovery in human evolution was a skeleton with a uh, had a broken, broken femur, femur that yeah. main thigh bone, and it had healed because that human, that person, if they had, didn't have their support network around them, they would have died. Yeah, I think that was her, and she said that that's the first sign of of culture is a broken femur yeah. because, as you said, that person wouldn't have survived. They absolutely would have died. So somebody must have been looking after them and feeding them and carrying them around. Yeah. So yeah. But you think about work now. Uh-huh. Many, many people, especially post-COVID, are working from home, working in isolation. They're not working in big teams. They're not working in an office environment. They're working you know, digital nomads. That's great, but you're usually on your own. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. um, and we're losing that connection. Yeah. yeah. So it's really even one of the things that I you know, write about in the book is, is, is about one of the ways to, 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 get, to get, move out from burnout is, first of all, get your circle of support. Who is your support network? Because... It's not you. It's 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 about you know, how you process and deal with this stress. Yes, and so yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of movement towards the the individual rather than the communal or the community in the last hundred years or so. Or gig uh, economy, um, exactly. Yeah. So it's you know. yeah. Um, but as you said, we're social creatures, so we do need that community element somewhere in your life to to survive and thrive and feel like a human but yeah I've, I've just been reading that book um in sweden they did um a survey a, a, a study where um people were happier like antidepressants use dropped when public holidays were the same like people people had, had public holidays when people took individual holidays from work but at different times from other people they were less happy than when they had when it was a public holiday so like thanksgiving in america or christmas here um, and in Russia, um, they wanted to try and keep the factories going 24-7. Yeah. So they changed the working rotors of, of everybody to split them into different um, teams. So people didn't have weekends and family holidays at the same time. They were on different rotors. And it, it devastated society because people couldn't spend time with their family or their children because they were on a different work road. They didn't have a diet there at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. it's really important that we, yeah. you know, we do. We, it's it, it's it's about how we connect. It's about connecting with ourselves and connecting with others. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And that's a very basic basic human need that's been uh, pushed yeah, back we've a lot. Losing it. We're losing yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little about art then and creativity, since that's such a big uh, answer yeah. to many of our problems. <laughs> um, so for you, so you are you're a poet. You're an author. Um, and you're a recording artist too. So what's your relationship yeah. to art and music? It sounds like music's really important to you. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I started art about, say about 11 years ago when I was off work for nine months with a really severe bout of depression. I've been bullied at work and that was all part of, that was just after I'd, I'd had a grief, I'd had a grief, I'd lost my grandmother. I got my PTSD diagnosis and my boss was bullying me at work because I was challenging some of the working practices, my health and safety things. So whole combination of factors, which meant I just, completely broke down and was off mm-hmm. work for nine months 
And um, one day I went along to the local library and um, the art club, local art club was um, doing a demonstration in there. And there was an elderly neighbour who was there with me. And she said, oh, I'd love to join this club, but I can't, I've just given up my driving licence because I've got diabetes, I can't drive. So I thought, oh, I'll give you a lift, I'm off work, you know, got me out the house. So I took her along to this club and I loved it because it was just sitting there, not thinking about what was going on in my head, but just learning to paint. So it got, actually went back when I went, when I returned to work, part of my rehabilitation process was to reduce my exposure to the stress, which they weren't going to change my boss. They weren't going to change my working practices. I had to take a cut in my wages and cut my hours by half day a week so I could go to this art class. Yeah. That's what I did. And that was my journey to being a, an artist. And yeah. I loved it. And that was great. Um, and then shortly after that, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer and, and we had to relocate 500 miles from Scotland down to England, to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And my husband had just started doing some recording and, and he was playing music in his shed. And um, he said, oh, I need, a, I need someone to play percussion on our, would you like to, would you like to try? So I tried it and I could, I could keep rhythm. So there was me joining the band at, wow. um, yeah, at 40. So uh... <laughs> Yeah. And so you hadn't done art or music really before this? No, no, I did GCSE wow. art school, but okay. basically I just got told to get a proper job and, you know, art was, you know, as many people do. Um, Dismissed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was it. So um, apart from doing stuff for my kids, you know. So, yeah, yeah. so um, nine years ago, well, just as we moved down to Somerset, the one thing that's kept me and my husband going with all the stuff, we, we had a really four or five years of quite a lot of family stress with losing both his parents and all these yeah. lots of other stuff going on mm-hmm. moving house three times in five years you know the most stressful things you can do <laughs> so the one thing that's kept us going is me going is art uh, just painting and drawing and writing poetry to process some of my thoughts and um yeah the band and going out and playing gigs I was terrified the first time we went out and played I was absolutely terrified you know because of my PTSD I didn't want to get in front of microphone for people to criticize me I couldn't sing and all those sort of things but actually in that nine years we've oh well we play gigs regularly we play festivals we've recorded three albums Wow! I did my first vocal this year you know it's helped me develop my confidence and and Mm -hmm. and self yeah, and and I've I've met so many lovely people, musicians, and people people who come to the festivals are so lovely, and they yeah, it's it's like a big family. That's awesome. Oh, you're giving me um, you know, hope, and because as you can see in the background, I've got a piano as well, yeah. and I've been playing since I was a kid and singing as well, but I have not performed in front of anybody in like oh. since like I was like eight in some sort of recital that I really hated and didn't want to do. I'm terrified yeah. of performing in um in front of people. So oh, we should tap on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you I... should listen to the on the podcast. One of my guests was Kirsty Costar, a nomad mm-hmm. soul song tutor, and she okay. she was a friend of ours in Glastonbury. She was one of my first guests on the podcast, like sort of second or third episode. Yeah. And she is a, she's an amazing singer and songwriter, and she was doing a master's in songwriting, and um, she was one of my earliest clients for EFT. And she had this really bad stage fright. She was in a pantomime as a lead role in a pantomime. Um, and she was doing her master's in songwriting, but she was she was terrified of being a judge, being assessed for her work. She didn't want us she, she loved playing music, but she didn't like to be judged or assessed for it or whatever. So we we tapped on that. And again, there was some really deep emotional stuff, and she talks about it quite openly in that in that podcast episode. Um, so I'm not sharing anything out of turn here. She cleared all that, and now she runs her own song uh, singing tuition business. Oh, cool! So it can be done. 
Yeah, I and, have to listen yeah, to it. Yeah, she's amazing. I would because I I would love to perform in front of people like at an open mic or something, but I'm just like genuinely horrified <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so it's about finding a safe space, isn't it? And yeah. finding a safe space. That, yeah, and and yeah. yeah, yeah. My husband, um, he writes all the songs for our band, so it's quite an in-house thing. And uh, and he's now running a, a guitar and bass group for a local community organization mm-hmm. and people come along with with guitars and just play in a group and and they and it's so, so lovely because of different ages and you know they'd play different yeah. songs together they choose songs and that that's really thing do you know do you know the group the clash yeah should i yes. stay or should i go yes yeah yep. well um joe strummer who was who was in the clash he he's he lived locally before he died in here in somerset and his last gig was in this town near us called bridgewater and the this arts organization thought it'd be really cool because it's a radio station in Seattle that has a clash day every year. Mm-hmm. And um, they thought it'd be really cool to do a flash mob of, oh, cool. of should I stay or should I go in the town center in this, in this town of Bridgewater. So they got us our band in February this year. It was really cold. Our guitarist um, had to have coffee to keep his hands warm. Um, <laughs> and we just rocked up to this pedestrianized bit of the shopping center with our, with our band mm-hmm. set up electric you know drum kit everything um in the middle of this shopping center and started playing and all these shoppers were looking at us like what's going on here you know yeah. saturday morning in february and we started playing a few of our songs and then suddenly all these people just came out of the woodwork and with their guitars and basses and we we put out of uh, start playing should i stay or should i go and yeah. we had about 20 people join us wow and it was so much fun and um and it was streamed to this radio station, Seattle. That's so so cool. um, after that, they've developed this community project. So lots more people are developing their confidence as performers mm-hmm. to play guitar and bass. Oh, that's so cool. What a fun idea. I've heard of like the Flash dance mobs, but this was like a Flash mu- musician mob? Clash or... mob. Yeah, they called it Clash mob. A Clash, Clash mob. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But Got it was it. great. It was like Saturday morning on a shopping centre in, yeah. in February and cold. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, I'll get to do fun things like that, you see, so that's yeah. great, that's what I like. Maybe that's it. that's why I should do it, is because then I can be in a Clash mob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get to play at festivals, play at Glastonbury Festival and things like that, so yeah, you know, it's great. That's awesome, oh, it's so fun. Um, well, let's, I think that's a good note to end on, actually. So yeah. where where can people find you online if they'd like to connect and learn more about you? And I'll put the okay. links in the show notes. So Sure, so as I said, it's complicated. So Basically, I'm Anne Diamond's artist, so, you know, my name, Anne Diamond's artist, and that's my art, and I run creative workshops as well, so creating mm-hmm. calm, creating connection, um, to help people connect with their emotions, um, do that, um, and I sell cards and things, and for the EFT, it's Creatively the EFT, and that's on Facebook. Okay, cool. Put those all in the show notes for you, for the listeners. And my last question that I ask all of my guests is, what advice can you give our listeners today for living a wild, creative life? Do you know, just just be you. You know, get rid of the shoulds. There's no shoulds. I say shush the shoulds. Don't 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 <laughs> like should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shush the shoulds and and be proud of who you are and be yourself because there's only one you and there's nobody else like you. So just do it. Just be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Anne. This was a really fun conversation. I'm, I'm glad to have had you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really nice to talk to you, Emma. 
All right, that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with Anne online and inquire more about her work or download her guide to taming your stress triggers, check out all the links in the show notes below. If you're enjoying the podcast overall, please do rate and review. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, share. I do also have a Patreon for the show if you'd like to support it that way. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas for future episodes, please email me at emmacavetna at gmail.com. Otherwise, until we meet again, stay wild, stay creative. Stay creative.